Welcome to the Dementia Researcher podcast, brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk, a network for early career researchers. Hello and welcome to our podcast recording for the NIHR Dementia Researcher website. This week we'll be discussing non-cognitive aspects of Alzheimer's disease, particularly focusing on social withdrawal. Hi, I'm James Datcher. I'm currently an Alzheimer's Society Fellow and I work at Durham University. Hi, I'm Eleftheria Barvolaraki and I'm currently a Postdoc Fellow at the University of Leeds. Hello, uh, I'm Dr Stephen Hall and I'm currently a Postdoctoral Researcher at the University of York. Thank you very much for joining us today. Maybe let's start with a brief background from all of you. Oh, uh, hello, yeah, I'm Stephen. Um, I'm the bit of the oddball here, really, because I primarily work in epilepsy at the moment, but hopefully we'll be <coughs> transitioning across into Alzheimer's research imminently. Uh, I work a lot with uh, in vitro electrophysiology, so we look at rhythms and we look at electrical signals in the brain. Uh, with a particular focus on sleep and cognition and also epilepsy. Uh, and we try and understand what's going on in those situations and try and put them right if need be. Okay, and what uh, model organisms do you use? So we use uh, mice, rats, and also we do a bit of human work as well with MEG studies. Oh. Great, and James? So I did my PhD uh, in Cardiff. Uh, on neocortical plasticity mechanisms and behaviour in mouse models. I uh, got my PhD in 2010. Uh, I moved to Leeds uh, in 2011, where I continued to use mouse models but got more interested in uh, the neural mechanisms of social behaviour, and particularly when social behaviour goes wrong, so uh, disorders that particularly affect uh, social behaviour like autism. So. I was very lucky at Leeds, I managed to get some money to become independent within my first postdoc, uh, and that allowed me to uh, develop some new strands of research, so uh, in vitro electrophysiology, in vivo electrophysiology, molecular biology processes, a little bit of MRI, um, and then I transitioned my knowledge of uh, social behaviour into dementia uh, when I got my uh, Alzheimer's Society Fellowship. Uh, which took me to Durham University, where I am now. Great. And Ella Um So I'm primarily a postdoc fellow, a research fellow in the University of Leeds. I'm involved in the current project through the study of um, understanding how the heart functions. Uh, through my work in the University of Leeds and my connection to departments such as physics and medicine, I had the opportunity to develop um, imaging protocols using primarily MRI to study the function and the structure of the heart. So <coughs> using uh, such techniques I tried to progress the project from a different aspect and a different angle and see how does the heart is involved um, in uh, um, during dementia and what the effects are to the brain. Okay great, so you're all from different places, York, Durham and Leeds, and you're all basically coming together to write a grant together, is that right? Maybe you could talk about how you're all involved in the research. So I guess um, I'm the link pin in this. <laughs> um, so I got my um, fellowship, but many years before that I was working with Ella Freer. We did our PhDs in the same lab and we had been working on my autism project, um, particularly trying to advance imaging techniques. 
um, something called diffusion tensor um, MRI. So as part of my fellowship, um, Eleutheria is a named mentor. So we've continued to work together since the award of that uh, fellowship and we're now doing diffusion tensor Im imaging which is what Eleutheria was doing before for the heart um, but for dementia mouse models. Um, Stephen I met after a conference actually uh, a couple of years ago in Durham uh, and we got talking um, I don't know, maybe you can recount this better than I, but you expressed an interest in coming to work in Durham. Um, so we've worked on that aspect. However, I also needed to do some electrophysiology. So through you and uh, Miles, so your boss, um, we've started to study um, my dementia mouse model in, in a way that I couldn't in Durham with uh, in vitro electrophysiology, so that's where Stephen's contributing to my project. Um, moving forwards, um, I guess um, having the mice and having um, the funding in place, I've been able to try and develop a couple of new projects with both mm -hmm. Stephen and Eleutheria. Um, one that looks more towards um, epilepsy and Alzheimer's disease, and one that looks at heart function and how it goes wrong how that contributes to uh, dementia. Okay, great. Um, so, uh, James, you... Oh, God. <laughs> Stephen, you have a background in epilepsy. That's right, yeah. But you have an interest <coughs> in dementia, is that right? That's spot on, yeah. So, I mean, I should take it back a little bit. What My, my initial interest, really, or my initial funding for, for, for the postdoc I'm working on at the moment is to do with sleep. Uh, and uh, learning and, and memory and cognition during sleep. But one of the main aspects of that is we're really interested in uh, sleep-associated epilepsies, particularly absence epilepsies, and so that's what I've been working on for the last five or six years now, trying to understand absence epilepsies or absence-like epilepsies. But, yeah, I've got strong personal connections to Alzheimer's disease, and so would like to transition across into Alzheimer's disease and so having a look at where I could sort of fit into the to current landscape of research in Alzheimer's uh, and dementia uh, there's a there's a huge link between the prevalence of seizures and dementias so I mean that's currently estimated at around 42 percent of Alzheimer's patients suffer seizures as well so it seems like there's a, a really strong link there and hopefully having such a good background in in epilepsy hopefully i might be the person to have a look and, and see what's really going on in these these sort of seizure activity yeah so you in, decided to sort of change field and is that how you got talking to james at that's the exactly right yeah. yeah so so i've also got a few ideas around sleep and alzheimer's disease as well uh and, and that's initially what i why i came and spoke to james and his uh colleague, uh, Dr Colin Lever in, in Durham about potentially coming up and, and working with them um, and I think that initial uh, contact was probably made two over two years ago now mm. uh, but for the last maybe six to eight months we've been formulating more solid and concrete ideas as to how we're going to take our research forward. Yeah, I know you're applying for funding. I am, yes. Uh, we've got a fellowship application that will be going uh, towards the end of this month. So 
fingers crossed. Yeah, <laughs> good luck. <laughs> Thank you. Um, okay, moving on a bit to the social effects that are important in dementia. Do you have any comments on that? Yeah, so like I said, I, I was working in uh, autism and I was really interested in um, how the brain processes social function. I was working in that in a sort of normal sense. How does the brain normally remember people and recall people and how does neurons process social information I was working in autism uh, genetic mouse models however an opportunity came up to start to look at this in terms of Alzheimer's disease and when I started formulating these ideas there really wasn't a huge amount surrounding um, dementia and social withdrawal but it was noted there was a few studies that basically showed that the more, um, the broader your social network, so that's the more people you regularly um, communicate with, go out with, etc. Um, that can actually protect you from um, cognitive loss, despite your um, pathology getting worse. And I was really mm. interested in that. So why, why, what is this about social that's important that actually is somewhat protective? Now, since I started the fellowship, more stuff like that's come out. So um, the Lancet Commission that showed that social isolation is a risk factor for dementia. There's more and more coming out that suggests um, that social factors are an important part of dementia, um, could even cause dementia. I mean, that's, that's a very small proportion compared to other risk factors, mm -hmm. but it is now a bona fide risk factor. So that's where I was able to transition what I was doing. And really, very few people were trying to understand the mechanisms. There's a lot on the sort of social psychology mm -hmm. sides on showing that um, social isolation, etc., is a risk. But very few trying to understand where in the brain that was being manifested, the neural mechanisms, etc. So this is where we've been using mouse models to try and explore this a little bit more. Um, and so partly the work I do with Eletheria is taking a whole brain approach to see uh, which brain regions, particularly within the social brain, so those regions that um, process social information, um, which ones may um, show more pathology or degrade earlier than others. Um, and with Steve uh, looking at how neurons function, so looking at different parts of the social brain, which we've now done, and seeing if there's um, differences, so one brain region is affected versus one that's not affected, to give us some insights of maybe uh, this brain region is more important early on in social draw than, than another. And it gives us ways of targeting, um, maybe therapeutically, but by a variety of means, we can actually try and improve social function if we understand it better. So how do you model social withdrawal in your mouse models? So... As this is a very early study, because not, not a lot of done, uh, has been done on this, um, we're really just looking at normal social functions. So we take um, experiments where mice explore novel mice and see how well they explore them, how long, how motivated they are to explore these mice, um, and how well they can remember mice that they've already explored. So it's and a that's very just a behaviour... Just, just a, a sort of observation. Yeah, so the behaviour is observation at the mm -hmm. moment. Yeah. Um, and then from there we take 
the brains of these mice and further explore what we already we already know a bit about the social brain what brain regions are important and that's where we can target our further studies with the electrophysiology with the MRI with genetics etc to try and understand at a um, synaptic receptor synaptic protein basis what's going on okay and so the MRI that's where you come in? Yes, yeah, so um, over the years in the University of Leeds I had the opportunity to be involved with a lot of the MRI <laughs> and develop a lot of protocols and different techniques and analysis software if you wish. So when um, James's project came alive, if you wish, um, we um, um, started looking at the whole brains where we um, scan them in mm -hmm. the MRI, take the 3D images and try through uh, bioinformatics software and computers to try and connect different regions of the brain to each other. So that goes back to a lot of the behavioral studies, you know where specific behaviors come from, memories are stored, so you know if you if some of the connections are lost in the mice that they're affected by dementia, we can see them in the MRI because we can't map those connections. They're actually missing or they're altered in other ways. And uh, do you do that live or is that...? Um... We do that ex vivo, so okay. we, we extract the brain from mm -hmm. the mouse. Uh, that gives us the opportunities to run a lot longer and more detailed mm -hmm. protocols because it's the... Um, primary step of the project. Of course, when it comes to applying that in the clinic, those <laughs> protocols can be altered and be as detailed, but will last for a lot shorter Short. times and will be applied to um, humans. Yeah. But, but by that point, you'll know sort of regions to look at. Yes, by that the, the point is to do mm -hmm. it as detailed and as lengthy as possible to understand the connections and map them. Mm -hmm. And when you do know what you're looking at and you know what's missing or has been changed and which manner it has been changed, mm -hmm. then you can change your protocol to be applicable in the clinic. Have you done MRI in humans? I have been involved in um, studies, but not for this project. In the <laughs> University yeah. of Leeds, I have a lot of connections with clinicians mm -hmm. in uh, Leeds General Infirmary, and I've been involved in a lot of studies that use um, MRI to study cardiac function uh, in humans, and that's how I've been involved in um, you know, different types of protocols and analysis, and I know how you can explore the possibilities of transferring one protocol, experimental protocol, into a clinical protocol. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And Steve, do you use these brains to do the electrophysiology on? Is that how it's all linking together to look at the function? No, so we we uh, need them a bit fresher than okay. I can get away <laughs> with. Uh, uh, so we've James sent us a cohort down to to York University, um, and like I said, my boss uh, Miles Whittington's got uh, an excellent in vitro laboratory down there, and we've managed to uh, remove those brains, and then we we slice them up so we can take little regions uh, that are in, of interest. So for the for the study that we're doing at the moment, obviously we're looking at social regions, so mm -hmm. things like prefrontal cortex and basolateral amygdala and uh, we decided to take a bit more of a complex look at what was going on in there so so there are lots of things you can do within electrophysiology whether it's something like long-term tensiation or uh, yeah LTD protocols what we decided to do was was to to look at rhythms so oscillatory activity in these brain regions uh, and rhythms are critically important because 
they're really you know a, a function of how the brain can communicate from one region to the other and what we've done for many years so all the way back to my PhD was was to generate rhythms in these sort of brain regions and so what we did is to we, we took these these Alzheimer's mice and and basically generated some some gamma rhythms so some higher order rhythms and looked at how they changed from wild type and and uh, Alzheimer's model mice. Will you eventually have mice that have had social withdrawal or so that you'll get the mice that have had behaviour studies done to them, given to you? So, so, so not really, but we're, we're obviously these are time-matched, so mm-hmm. the, the experiments that James will, will be doing on the, the social withdrawal, we've got exactly the same time point, so the exactly the same level of, of A-beta deposition and, and plaque level, etc. So, al- although not the same mice, we're, we're making a direct comparison there between the rhythms that are in these mice at, at certain ages and the, the social withdrawal and, and social behavioural effects that, that James is seeing. Ultimately, not everything can be within subject study mm-hmm. because um, within the programme, we need to prepare brains by fixing them for the MRI. So that precludes doing a lot of other experiments. Mm-hmm. So um, some mice have to go off for MRI, some go for electrophysiology, some need to be frozen for genetics, um, genetics. Mm-hmm. so there's only so many things that we can do yeah. that's within subjects so it's so although we we all use different techniques that require different preparation mm-hmm. uh, we all use the same ages because um, from the same cohort of mice you can mm-hmm. separate them but uh, age them at the same time point and we'll yeah. say these will go to Steve these will go to James mm-hmm. these will come to me so we're all at the same time point as humanly possible. Yeah. But, you know, plus or minus a couple mm-hmm. of days, we'll all be at the same time point mm-hmm. and we will do all of our experiments and then combine them for the findings. Yeah. So how are you finding or working in different departments and different universities? Is that going well? I think that's just the way of science nowadays. Yeah. Um, you have to work... You have to have collaborations mm-hmm. of different people that can do different things in different universities because different people have different connections yeah. and access to equipment. Mm-hmm. Um, if it was all down to James, he wouldn't have been able to do, he wouldn't have had the appropriate access to the MRI. Then it takes someone who has done the MRI to show him how to do the MRI and analyse it then he wouldn't have had the electrophys rig that mm-hmm. Stephen has and Steve and has some amazing yeah. yeah. And also it's the cost. If mm. you if you expect from one person to own everything and have access to everything, you wouldn't be able to do it in just in one um, funding round. Yeah. I think I, if you work with people that you trust and, you know, they do what they say they're gonna do, it's not <laughs> a it's not really a problem. Um, there are many advantages of if, if you want to do more complicated science, mm-hmm. um, you can't do that alone. No. And by working with others, I get a benefit because I can do better science within my project. Um, but having the mice allows me to some degree pay back um, by allowing mm-hmm. tissues to go to other studies that mm-hmm. perhaps facilitate future grants that are not necessarily within my expertise so while you've been helping me out you've done your mm-hmm. pilot data for your grants and then Ella3 and I have a study going on that uh, looks at 
cardiac function in these mice. Uh, and that's probably some of the most exciting work that I'm involved with at the moment, actually. The least exciting work that I'm doing is my fellowship. <laughs> I'm really, really excited by the two projects mm. that these mice have facilitated. Mm. Um, that's nothing to do with my expertise at all, but it's it's quite nice to... But the, the cardiac structure project, which was a mm. sideline, has actually produced some very exciting results this week, or last week and this week. And it's all based because it's so you know in in its baby steps. It's, yeah. it's still MRI, but it's it going it's going to involve some prim, uh, pilot data from genetics, and it mm. has produced some quite exciting results. And uh, as Jane said, it has given the opportunity to continue to work together in the new grant that is going to be written yeah. um, for me. And um, yeah, just just James working mm. by himself, it just limits. It also yeah. limits the ideas. One yeah. person can only have so many ideas. And if you have, if you manage to have all the ideas and you have no one to help you with, then mm -hmm. you can't move forward. Well, you can have an idea and then talk to someone who's an expert in that field yeah. and they can see how they can use those techniques for you to realise your idea. Yeah. So do you think gone are the days of single author papers and we're moving towards a more well, I think collaborative... Oh, yeah. the decades, I, I, yeah. They, they were gone they before were gone. I started. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think I even my, I remember doing a journal club and it was the last single author paper I've actually seen. Oh, that was, what, back in 2007? Yeah. <laughs> so I think, I think they're gone, but also the demands of funders have mm -hmm. changed. Yeah. You know, you can't... I don't think you can be... Um, alone it's almost a given that you're working with others mm -hmm. you know there's there's no grant or fellowship that I know that doesn't ask who your mentor or collaborator is or who else you're working with it's just yeah. not, everyone asks not the way it goes um, mm -hmm. who is your international partner who is your industrial partner yeah. who's your local partner who is so you will not be funded if you are and and to be fair we all have specialized knowledge to move forward mm -hmm. we don't know everything to do it by ourselves so we all although we, we have a broader knowledge of science and we understand all of it and we know where we're moving with all of the different experiments we can't all of us do all of the experiments by ourselves yeah. Yeah. i think what's really changed is um journals yeah what it requires to get even into an average journal now is quite unbelievable <laughs> i mean we we've we i think all three of us have hit our heads on desks <laughs> where the bar is now so high that yeah. it's it's you, you have to work with other people if, i mean there's there are super labs mm -hmm. um that can do everything in in one lab but um unless you're in there you need help yeah and if if you're trying to say uh if you're trying to break out as an ecr and trying to get established um it, it's a lot tougher it's easier for a very established professor to work with lots of people and have tens of millions in funding and have all that on offer but if you're if you're more junior and trying to establish yourself you need the support of others and i don't know in this case it's, I, I quite like this actually because it doesn't have to be really senior people that support you. Yeah. You know, you can get support mm -hmm. from other ECRs and you know, with some nice bosses, um, they they can. Uh, you can actually really 
facilitate your career and help others mm-hmm. along the way. I personally think it's fun. I think it's really yeah. good fun to work <laughs> as a team. I, yeah. you know, I, I know more about DTMRI than I did six months ago. I, que- <laughs> I, I question that. Yeah, prob- probably. We'll have not some questions much, on the way uh, back. <laughs> okay, we'll have a quiz. I think it's. A, a, I, I, I prefer to view it as a positive thing mm-hmm. rather than a negative thing. And uh, a lot of the stuff that we do sort of not, not only uh, requires the input of collaborators, it, it, it needs that it mm. needs that input. Uh, and it and it's fun. It's fun to bounce ideas off other people. It's fun to to sort of see these these uh, potential proposals and then hopefully see them through. So I I like it. <laughs> I like working with others. Good. And you said earlier that you two met um, James and Steve, you met at a conference and you guys used to do your PhD we together? We did our PhD in yeah. the same lab yeah, yeah. back in the so day. So what tips would you have for ECRs on networking and forming these collaborations? Go to conferences and approach people. Uh, don't just sit in the back of a lecture theatre <laughs> frantically taking notes. That's, not, that's <laughs> never going to help you. But when you go to a conference, you need to approach the people that you think they can help you. Introduce mm-hmm. yourself with confidence. Have good questions. <laughs> So think about your question before you pose it. <laughs> um, and um, well, from my experience, constantly talk to people. Don't let them forget you. And if you can, make yourself known for one thing. From experience, make mm-hmm. yourself known for one thing. And once you're known and when people put your name in Google and you come up, you know you're in the right track. Okay. That last point is really... It, it said a lot, but it is important mm-hmm. to be known for one thing. I'm not, and I've been lucky, but I'm also very aware of my luck in that sense. I'm not really known. And perhaps what I am known for is my PhD work, not what mm-hmm. I've done after. Um, so, yeah, try try and be established or try and be known for one thing. Um, my advice sort of echoes Elethria's talk to people. Um, I've constantly been surprised how helpful people can be. Not everyone, <laughs> but you have to have sort of the confidence. If you've got an idea and you're passionate about something, and it's frank, you know, it's got to be a half decent idea. But if it is, and you speak to people, you'll be surprised how supportive people can be. Um, so I, I started um, working with. Um, my mentor in Durham, Colin Lever, that Steve mentioned. Um, And it just came about from speaking uh, to someone else when I was at Leeds, and he said, this was about in vivo electrophysiology, and he said, I know the guy, Uh, I'll set up a meeting for you and you can speak speak to Colin. And I had a chat with him, told him my idea, and he basically went, great, this is what I want to do as well, let's make it happen. So we got a couple of grants to facilitate it, but we that was back in 2012, I think. And we just continued building that relationship mm-hmm. year after year, slow steps, but it eventually led to something. So talk to people. I've had a lot of good fortune in conferences. Like I say, you've got to have the confidence to meet people. Don't just go and look at posters and sit in lectures. Talk to people. Go to the parties. Go to the pubs. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> every, every conference has of, has like 
parties or what do they call them? Socials. Um, socials. Stuff like that. So go to the social, grab yourself an alcoholic drink <laughs> and, you know, just mingle, gain the circle and start talking. Oh, you're the guy with this paper. And, yeah, and I had this idea and I met that guy. Uh, the be- the best um, advice I got from our PhD supervisor is don't be afraid to choose a side and make friends. Because in science, you have to make friends. And so once you have friends, you have enemies. But that means you move <laughs> forward. You can't okay. be loved by everybody. People will hate you. People will stop your career. People will trash your grants and your papers. But there are people who will help you and will agree with your ideas. So you just have to choose sides and follow your gut instinct but have good ideas and don't be afraid to express yourself in the people that matter okay yeah it's i mean this is where we met wasn't it it's yeah. uh, a social after but i think yeah i think one more thing i i completely echo what you've said and but what, one more thing i would think i'd probably add to any early career scientists out there is is it's it does take practice it's not you're not going to be I, I really was not very good at networking when I first started and I think it does take a bit of practice to not get put off by the person that you pick to talk to who's just too busy at that moment or has you know just had a grant that's come back uh, not positive and they're just not really in the mood at that time don't let setbacks sort of hurt you and, and, and keep keep doing the talking even if it's not your forte you will get there you will get there. The other thing, resilience is a key mm-hmm. key aspect of it if you want to try and progress. The other thing that is key is think about things early. Because maybe in what we've talked about, things have come off. You, you, got, you get the impression that it's years of mm. prep. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we first talked two years ago yeah. and we're just getting... Yeah, a grant in now yeah. you know we've been working for years it, it mm-hmm. is a very very long process mm-hmm. you, if if you you can't expect to meet someone or have this idea that I'm going to have a chat to someone and then one month later put something in if, if you're trying to formulate something at least for fellowships and grants obviously it's very different if you want to go off and work in industry we can't speak to that no. really we have no. no expertise but in terms of grants it's, it's generally a long process so if I've always said the the earlier you can think about what you want your career to be start putting small things in place mm-hmm. um, e- even if it's like a paper here talking to the person there maybe a small grant it, it is a it is a long slog to actually get something together and that's perhaps not said as much as it should be mm-hmm. yeah, it, ta- it takes years of point. prep and like 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 Stephen said, you will talk to the first person and they'll be grumpy because their paper and their grant were rejected <laughs> in the same week. Well, don't put it because he doesn't ha- he or she doesn't have anything against you. Yeah. But science will put you down a million times and reward <laughs> you once. So everybody will be grumpy every day of the year. You just have to <laughs> persevere, and it takes years. Mm. Like, me and James often have a very good idea of a dinner, and it'll take months to get the data from the mm-hmm. one idea we've had and then you have to find the right funder which means maybe you're emailing their office to punt the idea oh we've had this and it showed that and that will take weeks to come back and then writing 
a grant or a fellowship takes months because there's such a lengthy process and pages upon pages upon pages of written things. So start early so you can get somewhere in the years to come while you're preparing yourself. Yeah. Okay. You touched briefly on resilience. Can I ask you how many grants and papers you've had rejected? Because I think that's quite a... I'm not going to embarrass myself by saying the number. (laughs) Um, But I think sometimes it's important to talk about you get rejected, but you will also get accepted. In one... As an example, in one year, I was rejected by all the charities and the major research councils, mm-hmm. but then I became the, um, I won the award for the best researcher of the year. So well, you see, I was, by Lush. By, yes, by, by Lush. Lush. The Lush Prize. The Lush Prize mm-hmm. for working without um, animal models, working with humans. Uh, okay, yeah. yeah. So you see, I was completely, my confidence was completely destroyed by being mm-hmm. rejected by everybody. Yeah. <laughs> but then um, an award came my way and things have changed since. Yeah. So be resilient because mm-hmm. you're not the only person that has a good idea. Yeah. And one, once your project is written and it's in front of a panel, it's just those 11, 12, 15 people, how many in one room, judging so many applications and you're just one. It doesn't mean that you're the best person in the room, but you have to believe that you're the best person and keep trying. Mm-hmm. And one of them will have faith. Okay. Um, papers? I can't even count. <laughs> oh, um, I can't count how many it, times. It's almost, mm-hmm. I mean, without, it's almost not worth counting. It's, no. I mean, I, I don't even think about it. It's just part of the course. Yeah, you and know, I if, think if, that's sort of what we know, have to talk about and make if, it a bit more yeah, normal. If I'm submitting a paper, it's almost, my first thought is, where am I sending it next? Mm. Yes. It's barely even a thought of, well, what, this will get accepted in nature. Yeah. Um, it, but we'll start from nature. <laughs> but we'll start from nature. But yeah, it, it's it's tough. You know, it's almost. Uh, I mean, we we uh, we've had an absolute nightmare with a paper at the moment. It's uh, on the old autism work. Yes. And it's bounced. How many? Six now. I six, think we're on six. the sixth. Mm-hmm. But people also have to understand that there's a lot of politics because papers are reviewed by fellow scientists, mm. not the journal. So you have I mean, a that's lot. That's a topic for a whole other podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is. It is what it is, and you can't. You take it personally for the day. Mm-hmm. Um, with the last one, I've really taken it personally um, because <laughs> for the it week. because it because it was a personal attack. Oh. <laughs> I've um, I've actually appealed this one. Oh wow! <laughs> which is unusual, okay. but that is what it is. Mm. Um, grants. I guess I've been luckier than others with funding. I think it's fair to say, but I've still got the drawer of stuff that didn't work. Um, I don't know. Maybe I think I think I wrote five to get the Alzheimer's Society one. So mm-hmm. four four. Four or five rejected and one funded. Um, and that was with the same idea or tweaked a bit? Tweaked, yeah. let's say, yeah. tweaked. Because I um, guess that was sort of your point. You can go to a panel of people with an idea and they reject it, but they're not necessarily rejecting the idea or you. It's mm-hmm. just it wasn't right at that time. So you have to kind of pick yourself up and go, well, I'll try again. Or It can be many things. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that's certainly one. Um you can be lucky 
and someone on the panel has a broad enough understanding or is in your research mm -hmm. domain to go, I get this and want to see it funded, you can be unlucky and they're just... So we're all animal model people and we come up against a cell biologist that only does, only grows cells. We don't tend to fare very well. No. <laughs> um, and that's, that's not uniform, it's just an example of where mm -hmm. you yeah. come a bit unstuck. And, you know, if you go for a fellowship, you have a bad interview on the day, they're only, what, 30 minutes long? Or um, your presentation is actually a stopwatch that has yeah, started before you entered the door. Five, five minutes. So, yeah. You stumble a little bit or something like Anything could happen. Really. Anything can happen. Um, but it, it's part of the course. It's um, Success isn't a guarantee, but I sort of think of it like anything. If you're in business, you wouldn't get every deal that you went for. You wouldn't win every case if you're a lawyer. It's just the way it is. Success is not guaranteed, and I, um, the ones that I think, in my very, very limited experience so far, the ones that tend to progress are more the resilient ones. Mm -hmm. The ones that just brush off and have another crack at crack at it, and that sort of assumes that you've got a good enough CV anyway. Yeah. Um, there are some barriers to it. Number of papers. Mm -hmm. funding success, esteem, etc. Um, so there are some barriers, but if, if you're there or thereabouts and you're resilient enough, it, you should break through eventually. And this is where connections that we spoke about before count, because mm. if you've met the right prof who made it on the panel, this prof, if you made a good impression, will remember your name. And if you're also known for something, we'll remember your name even better. Associated so with that. So if it mm. is a bit of like, it's, you have to have a good CV. Not, mm -hmm. not everybody can write a fellowship because if you don't have any papers, if you've never had the experience, you won't move um, uh, ahead of the people that have had the papers and the mm -hmm. experience. But if you do make it to the last point before the panel and people on the panel have met you and you've made a good impression because you've had a, a good talk in a conference, you've mingled in the crowd, you went to the social, you've introduced yourself, mm -hmm. then they might look at you favorably because they know you. You're not just a piece of paper in front of them. Yeah. I was told um, by someone that they're, they're looking for a safe pair of hands mm -hmm. and they're giving you a lot of money at the end of the yeah. day. And they're looking for a safe pair of hands, someone that, if something goes wrong, can think of new things, can actually produce the goods. And this is why papers are important. You need someone that can actually be deliver. given money and deliver. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, they're, they're, if, if you've got that behind you, it's not impossible. And if you're known for being that, then it does help at a funding decision. I think the one thing that I'd like to add, if that's all right, I mean, yeah, it, and, sure. no. and yeah, the reason, <laughs> the reason, the reason being is that James is sat next to me and he's really, really good at this. And, and it's something that I wasn't aware of till I started applying for grants is that actually a lot of the funding bodies welcome a bit of dialogue. Mm -hmm. So a bit of a chat with them about what you're going to put in. Maybe they'll give you a bit of feedback about, you know, your, your work, etc. And it's also easy to get that rejection and go I'm never going to have funding body I hate them, oh, it's so horrible well actually if you just 
take it a bit more constructively and the fact that perhaps what you put in wasn't perfect you know try and make it a bit better have a dialogue with them discuss as to how you can make things better and then try again i think it's a really important thing to think about that I mean, particularly with where we're going with, with this fellowship, the really welcome dialogue, and that's lovely. That's really nice to to have that feedback and feed forward about what's going on and and how you can improve things. Well, they that want their money to be put to good use. Yeah, I exactly. Guess, don't they? exactly. Yes, yeah, they want they want good good value for their money. Mm-hmm. But not only they can see, they can check your idea. They can also check your CV. Mm-hmm. So if you do have a, the bigger question of, do I even have the CV to apply mm. for a fellowship? You can ask them. Yeah. You can make contact and they will, um, a lot of the charities and the research councils, they will make the time to have a look and say, actually, you wouldn't be competitive for this, but mm-hmm. we'd like to suggest this. Yeah. I yeah. guess that links back to thinking early on about your career, about what yeah. you can do to... Certainly in terms of dementia, Steve's points, dementia research, Steve's point's a good one because... Um, there's far more involvement, at least for Alzheimer's Society, with the lay uh, research network that mm-hmm. they have. And you can get feedback not just on the science, but also on the lay side. So people affected by dementia, people have had family members, and they can you can get a pretty good feel. Is this an idea, a good one or not? Mm-hmm. Would you, as lay members, like to see this funded or not? Or what could we do to improve... Mm. So it's not just the science, there's all aspects and that sort of links in a little bit more to impact. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, great. This has been really interesting. So I'd like to say thank you to all for coming and uh, we hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast through SoundCloud or iTunes. Tell your friends and colleagues and share via social media. Make sure you check out our website, dementiaresearcher.nihr.ac.uk, where there's more practical advice and tips for early career researchers. Thank you. This was a podcast brought to you by Dementia Researcher. Everything you need in one place. Register today at dementiaresearcher.nihr.ac.uk.